preaching of God's Word is found in Philippians, Philippians in chapter 1, particularly there at verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, and there at verse 6. We'll read there to understand some of the context, verses 1 to 11. Philippians 1, reading 1 through 11, but focusing now upon verse 6. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, and that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. It's there, verse 6, Paul states, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, we take up the second to last sermon on the doctrine of conversion. And though there are aspects of conversion that we've hardly touched upon and some which we will not fully exhaust, we hope to, by God's grace, have taken up much the length and breadth of the main. And one aspect that is important for the Christian, the believer who has been convinced of the imperfection of grace in his own life and his own weakness and struggles and so on is to see that when the Lord has begun a good work in His people, it is that He is beginning a work that He will continue through to the end. And you see that in our text. Paul is filled with encouragement to the Philippians and he testifies to them that he's confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now this is not because the Philippians were themselves perfect. It is even in the epistle that there's evidence of some sins that were present and needing correction. But it is rather because there was evidence of the reality of grace begun in their lives. And where there's grace begun, Paul understands, there is the promise of grace to come. And so this afternoon, as we take up our consideration from Philippians 1 and verse 6, we consider that conversion is but the beginning of an ongoing process of God. This is why when sometimes you read the Reformers who had um, 
not fully developed all of the categories or through controversy that would follow them, they'll talk sometimes about conversion as if it is an ever-present need for the Christian. And so, whereas you and I will talk about we were converted on this day or this season or at that time or sometime in the past, sometimes you'll read them talk about being converted today. And the point is not that they think there are multiple conversions that from death to life, and now I've lost my salvation, I have to be converted again. But rather they saw that God's grace of conversion is begun specifically at a moment, but it's a process then of further strengthening grace of the new man, making us to know, understand, will and do of His good pleasure, but also a weakening and an attacking and a putting to death of the old man, even by His Spirit. And the good news is that though there is a war, as we saw last week, that the Spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh the Spirit, and so on, that there's this uh, great turmoil within the Christian, that the encouragement that God's Word offers to us is that when He's begun a work in us, it has not begun in vain. He's not as a poor planner who says, well, I think I'll start here, And then now it's too tough and I'm going to give up and leave the person to himself. But rather, he knows all that he's undertaking. And Christian, for a moment, just consider this. If you've been a Christian, a believer, for any length of time, you will be startled at times in your life where you come face to face with sins that you didn't know were in your life. You didn't know the strength of it. You didn't know the power of it. You didn't know how perverted it was, how corrupt it was. You didn't know how your own mind would have bitter thoughts, how your own heart would lust after sinful things. Yet God knew all of it. God knew it from before the foundation of the world. God knew it at your conception, at your birth. He knew it when He worked upon you and brought you to conviction. He knew it when He brought you to faith. He knew all that was bound up in you. And over time, He's brought you to know it. Surely there is a purpose that He would do so to humble you but it's also that He may continue to renew you. One way He does that is by making known our sins that we again would see our great need of Christ. Well, it is from this verse we wish to consider this divine truth that when God converts one, He enters upon a work that He never leaves off, but that He will continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ a reference to the last day when Christ returns. So consider then three things. Firstly, the good work. Secondly, the good work begun. And thirdly, the good work continued. These three things to help us with this truth. So firstly then, the good work. Notice that Paul says that he, speaking of God, has begun a good work in you. Protestant can become a little anxious when the idea of a good work is spoken of. And indeed, we with Paul would very quickly say that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. And we would be very careful to ridicule and to oppose those who would testify of our own good works as being the meritorious cause of our justification before God. But we shouldn't hesitate 
to embrace the phrase good work, not even to hesitate to embrace the aspect, the truth that there are good works of the Christian. But here notice, the good work spoken of is not your good work nor mine, but rather it's His good work. The good work that is before us is that of God's work. And this, of course, is speaking of His gracious work in converting sinners to Himself. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, and there at verse 10, we read of God's good work there when Paul says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now notice there in that context, Paul is speaking of how by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And so here this good work is that saving work whereby He brings one who is dead in their sins to life. He takes one who is a rebel against Himself and turns him both into a subject and a friend and a child and even a spouse. All of these different images speaking of what? God's work of reclaiming one who had turned aside, converting that one now to be one who is with and for God. And so this good work of which Paul speaks is that good work of salvation. You remember in God's providence, Matthew 16, when there is this profession of faith from Peter and the other apostles saying, yes, this is what we understand. Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Elsewhere, Peter will say, when many have left Christ and Christ turns to Peter and the disciples say, will you also go? And Peter will say, you have the words of life, everlasting life. Where shall we go? So it's not just an orthodox testimony. It's a profession of saving faith. We are trusting in you as the Messiah. You're the anointed one who has come to save. You're the Son of the living God who saves sinners. You have eternal life and we take hold of you. And what did God, Jesus say to Peter? He says to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah. Why? Not only because Peter is seeing something that others can't see by their flesh, but rather because, as he says, because flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. There's a connection there. Saving understanding and saving faith is the fruit of, not the cause of, it is the fruit of saving grace. God's grace comes and opens eyes. God's grace comes and renews minds. God's grace comes and gives life to the sinner dead in his sin, dead in his trespasses, his transgressions, and in his iniquity. And finding this one wallowing in its filth and blood, he gives life. This is the good work. And how backwards it is when people try to say you need to do good works in order to be saved. 
when it is, no, no, the good work that saves is God's. It's God's good work. Now, of course, we acknowledge without any hesitation that the ground of our salvation, our forgiveness and righteousness, is the work of Christ. Christ who fulfilled all the law and Christ who uh, suffered on behalf of His people. It's that which is the ground, the thing to which God can point to and say, this is why I declare you righteous. But this particular work is not speaking of the substitutionary work of Christ on our behalf for our justification, but rather it's speaking of the work He has done in us, in converting us. So you can see a connection to John chapter 3. Here, Christ is speaking to a teacher of God's Word, Nicodemus. In our day, he would be a theologian, perhaps a professor of theology, a minister, a pastor, a doctor of divinity. And yet he was blind. And so what does Jesus say? Well, Nicodemus comes and says, we know you're a teacher sent of God. No one can do the works that you do except God be with him. And Jesus cuts right to the chase. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. Later, he says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John's Gospel has mentioned this earlier as well in John in chapter 1. When it speaks of this very fact of those who receive Christ, verse 12, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of, the blo- not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the good work. This is His good work, whereby He comes and gives life, understanding, and faith that sinners who were opposed to God, who were sinfully and willfully blinded against God, should be brought to see and then enter into the kingdom of heaven. We can say it perhaps in this way, that without this good work, there will be no good work of man. Because man will remain unconverted, in love with his lusts, his sins, and so on, and opposed to God. But to what end is this good work? Well, he's converting a people. And you can think of the various things that we've talked about in the past. He's turning us from sin unto Christ, and in Christ unto righteousness. He's making a people for himself to show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's making us a people who are indwelt, inhabited by God to show forth his praises, to testify of him. The end of our conversion is the glory and praise of God. Now this isn't divorced from the joy and gladness that we experience. It is a wonderful tapestry of grace that in the end, as our souls are enlarged with gladness and joy, worshiping God, what will that be but to His praise? 
You can see it in Romans chapter 9 when it speaks of the vessels of mercy as those appointed beforehand to do what? Well, you see that these riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, Romans 9.23, which He had afore prepared unto glory. Brethren, it's a solemn truth, even as the previous verse says, that He shows His wrath to make His power known, and thus endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. But this is as the backdrop to show forth the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto glory. The whole of salvation is to the praise of the glory of God's grace. And so every insight we have of heaven is a full consumption of the glory of God. You know, there's, no, there's never a time where heaven is even hinted at as people who are self-content. And like, well, what are you going to do today? Well, I'm going to go to the heavenly golf course as people talk about. Or I'm going to go to this party and that party and the best food and these things. But rather, the whole focus of every soul ever mentioned to be in heaven is a full consuming delight in God. Glory to God. Worthy is His name. Casting our crowns before Him. All of these are the pictures of heaven. Even as Paul was given this extraordinary privilege to enter as it were, whether in the body or out of the body, he knows not, into the third heaven and see things that he cannot, yea, may not, testify of. And yet he's not saying, look at me, you know, look how good I am and all of this. But he's enamored with and consumed with God. This is what the good work does. Because nothing can accomplish this good work but God. This is a point that we need to realize. He does use means, but He must use the means. We can have the best preacher. We can have the best book. We can have the most choice and uh, uh, you know, hand-selected track given to the circumstantial need of the person before us. And yet if God does not do the work, there's no work ultimately done of conversion. But we can also gather encouragement from this. Because, brethren... If you've been converted, the God of heaven and earth has drawn near and graciously begun this work. This work which is not only our faith unto our justification, but the whole of what He's going to do in our lives, which includes sanctification throughout this life. That's why Paul says, he will perform it, continue it, do it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice the good work in you. That's the work he's speaking of. This work of transforming you. We read of it in Jeremiah. A new heart will I give them. Elsewhere I'll plant my spirit within them. I'll make them willing in the day of my power. I'll write my law upon their heart. And every one of us as believers would say, oh, I delight in this, and yet I'm shamed that it's not yet perfected. And God says, listen, I'm not going to be done yet. I'm not finished yet. I'm still working at it. There are things that you might see online of artists 
And there was a fad, perhaps still is, of this quick art that would be done. And then it turned into something where artists would be doing something on this uh, sheet of paper. And the whole crowd would be confused because it looked like nothing. And within 60 seconds, the artist would step back as a finish and everyone would be looking at it saying, I don't understand it. And then he'd flip it over. And unbeknownst to the crowd, upside down, this beautiful picture has been painted. And now that it's put in order to our conception, the beauty is seen. Sometimes we're like that. We're looking at our lives and we're saying, oh, it grieves me that there's still this sin in my life. And perhaps it is that God's not begun a work. And yet, given time, God is, as it were, saying to the believer, I'm not yet finished. I'm still at work in you. There are things that you don't realize about yourself that need to be addressed. There are difficulties within your thoughts and beliefs and your practices that need to be addressed. But the good work I have begun, I will continue. So this is that gracious work of bringing us to bear His image When did this begin? The good work begun. Well, it begins at the first gift of faith. When it is that one is brought to believe upon Jesus Christ, because in order to believe upon Jesus Christ, our souls have to be renewed and transformed in order that we would see and desire Him. Because... We realize, even as John's Gospel, if we were to go back there to chapter 1, you'd see this, that men do not come to the light. Elsewhere, Christ says that men love darkness rather than light. They would rather hold on to darkness. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2 that men uh, suppress the, 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 the righteousness. They're holding it in suppression through their unrighteousness. They resist the testimony Why is this? Why do people refuse Christ? Well, there can be sort of circumstantial things. They may not know the truth of Christ, and yet the Pharisees knew the truth of Christ. In fact, this is what made their sin unpardonable. The Spirit had so persuaded them of the identity of Christ, and they yet refused Him. And so it's not just enough to know about Christ. That's not the beginning of the good work because our natures would stand opposed to Christ. Do you know who is persuaded that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Satan is. Satan's not converted. With every aspect of his being, he despises the Son of God because his nature is wicked, twisted, perverted, corrupted. And Brethren, if we have any knowledge of the Scripture's teaching and any experience in our own understanding of our own souls, we realize that the heart is desperately wicked, is deceitful above all else who can know it. It is given unto sin. And so the first beginning of this work is not merely our conviction, but it's when God gives us the new birth by which we see and enter into the kingdom of heaven. But think of what is begun. It's a work begun by God's sovereign grace as we've seen. It's begun by the effectual means of, uh, that He's appointed, as we've noted. But it is a work wherein He begins to change us. And He transforms us. To see an extreme example, you can think of the man who is possessed of many demons. 
And this was shocking to the people because he haunted, he lived at this tomb and there were chains about him where men had tried to contain him, but his strength was such that he broke them apart. He was naked, out of his right mind and consumed with demons. And then Christ comes, speaks the word and it's over, it's finished. And there's a beautiful testimony that when the men came, they found him in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Christ. He was a changed man. Now that's both because the demons were cast out, but also because he was converted. This is what happens when one is converted. They are a changed man. And yet they aren't a perfected man. It's the beginning of a work. So no one goes into kindergarten beginning their education and is now applying for high-level jobs because they've begun their education. Frankly, no one does that in Uh, you know, postgraduate school and so on. They're learning before they get to, as it were, the mature state of labor. The point is this. This good work begun is indeed but the beginning of the good work. Now, it's a great change. We shouldn't understate that. It's a significant change. It's a radical change. It's a real change whereby one was in love with sin, now doesn't love sin and loves Christ, whereas one satisfied his own sensual lusts is now desiring to satisfy uh, the love of God and to serve Him. There's a real change that's begun. And yet if we think the whole thing is accomplished, that what we are called to be is now fully realized, we'll be quickly disappointed. Because we'll discover far, soon enough anyway, that there's still something, as we heard last week, of the old man at work in us. If we don't realize that it's just the beginning of the good work, we can quickly become distressed and even depressed and paralyzed. But it's good for us to remember that this good work begun is indeed the beginning of a good work. And so you'll notice that Paul says he's confident that he which hath begun a good work. Why is it that he was confident of this? Well, you can look at the context in general and you'll see some evidence of the beginning of this good work. He speaks of, verse 5, their fellowship in the Gospel. They were partakers of the Gospel. They believed the Gospel. They embraced the Gospel. And they took part in service to the Gospel. And so the Gospel was preeminent. And this is something to consider. He doesn't leap right away to say, because I can see that you're really concerned about the law of God. Now, we'll see that there's evidence of their concern. But what is central as a mark is their being consumed with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. There can be all sorts of changes that come upon people that are unconverted. You and I have met people who were raging drunkards who no longer even take a sip of alcohol. And yet they're not converted. We know people who were all sorts of profligate and uh, wicked and so on, but now they're faithful, upstanding citizens. We know people who once were beggars and cheaters and liars and so on, but now hold down a job. You know people like this. But you also know that they're not converted. People can go through radical changes. 
And so there are people who were big, you know, CEOs of companies, and then they got uh, sort of uh, disillusioned by the emptiness and vanity. And so they sell all that they have, and they go and they serve in charities and soup kitchens and so on. And yet they don't love Christ. They're not converted. Great changes can take place. But the change that takes place, that is the good work, is one that causes men to delight in the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is preeminent. And this is something for us to think through as parents, as fellow Christians, as we start to counsel people who are convicted of sin. They need to be aware that there is a temptation to flee to the law. There's a temptation. I've discovered my sin. Oh, my thoughts, my words. I can't believe I said these things. I can't believe I did these things. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the law and get it figured out. But he doesn't say, for your fellowship in the law from the first day until now. He says your fellowship in the Gospel. The good news is preeminent when one is converted. That's what they can't stop speaking about. That's what consumes them. That's what is impressive to them. The good news of Jesus Christ crucified. The good news to sinners. It's Christ who saves. It's Christ and that's what I long for. And yet, this then leads to activity. And you'll see that evidence when he speaks of this exhortation, verse 9, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Notice he doesn't say that your love may start, that your love may begin, but that it may grow. So he knows of this good work begun by both their delight, their faith in the Gospel, their focus on the Gospel, and the evidence of their love. Of course, we know that love is preeminently about loving God, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, and loving man, commandments 5 through 10, which is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Paul is praying that their love may abound. So he's persuaded of this good work begun. Because the Gospel is now everything to them. And their love is present and evident in them. It's similar to what he says to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 1. You can see the same pairing in essence when he says, verse 4, I know your election of God, that God has chosen you for our Gospel came not unto you in in, in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. And then, as it says in verse 9, ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. So on. You see both of those. The Gospel, they're looking to Christ, they're embracing of the good news, and their service to God. Here's the evidence of a good work begun. Brethren, whenever one is converted, these two things 
will be in time evident. And yet, even to those of us unto whom it is evident of ourselves, we must confess it is not as great as we long for it to be. This leads us then thirdly to the good work continued. Brethren, doubtlessly the tone that Paul is striking is a tone of encouragement. He is confident that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That treasuring of Christ which is so dear to us and yet is not as strong as it ought to be. We have times of self-examination and we are astonished at the lack of love we bear to Christ. And yet we ought not to overlook that there is love to Christ. Because if there's love to Christ, that's evidence of grace. That's evidence of a good work begun. And if we discover that, we can say here is evidence not only of a good work begun, but of the assurance that what's been begun will continue. Now this doesn't bring us back into some sort of you know, carelessness by which we lazily then go about the Christian life, because you'll notice that Paul launches in to exhortation. and Much of this epistle is an extended exhortation of this main thing. But it does give us the motive to go forth and to serve seeking growth, because He who has begun it will continue it. As we treasure Christ and yet discover how little we treasure Christ, We're right to confess it. But we're also right to say thank you for beginning this work and please continue it. We discover by His grace that we begin to love God's law. Some of us are astounded to think of when we were unconverted, how free we were with our speech in blasphemous things, in profane speech, in the things we would listen to, and then By God's grace, our speech has changed. The things we listen to aren't the same that we used to listen to, and yet we get caught at certain times, and thoughts pass through our minds. Sometimes words are found in our lips and tongues, and we're finding satisfaction in things that are contrary to God's Word, and we say, what is this? Oh, how loathsome it is that there's still these sins in me that they're not as pronounced as they once were, Yet, oh, how unfit it is that these things should still be in me. And yet, brethren, how needful it is for us to remember that the work that God has begun, He will continue it. It's particularly that work of sanctifying His people. There's a parallel in some sense in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse, every Christian should derive much encouragement from and make a regular matter for prayer. Chapter 5, 23 and 24. Paul says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we stop there, we say, that's what I want But how is it going to happen? But he doesn't stop there. He says, Faithful is he that calleth you. 
who also will do it. We discover indeed a longing and God quickens our appetites and we say, oh, to be holy. You can read the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards and you'll be struck with the keen sight of things that were given to him and the resolutions. McShane picked up on them as well and both of them have as a resolution this notion resolved to live as holy as a man can live in this life. The world looks at that in scoffs and says, you know, calm down. Cool it a bit. Brethren, it's unfortunate. All of us know something of fellow Christians coming to us and saying, you know, just tone it down a little bit. You don't have to be that committed to holiness. But brethren, once we get a taste of the goodness of God who is most holy, we say, that's what I want. I want to be holy like He is holy that I may enjoy His holy fellowship through Christ. And yet we look and we see all of the darkness still within us and the dim light and we say, oh, the pain and the agony of remaining sin. What should we do in such a moment? Remember that He is faithful. He will do it. And so what do we do? We come to God and say, here is still sin in me. Would you make me holy? Would you sanctify me? Would you, yes, cleanse me, pardon me of my sins? But would you also build me up in knowledge and holiness and righteousness to serve you? Brethren, we have a great ground to do this. We have a great cause that would help us before the Lord to pray this. We have a great reason to seek this with great confidence. Because of Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Wherein Paul mentions the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Part of the purchase of Christ is the purifying of His people. Every Protestant is ready to say, if they are Protestants indeed, that by the work of Christ on the cross, I know as I trust in Him that my sins are pardoned. I know that by His righteousness, I am reckoned righteous in God's sight. But somehow we hesitate to lay hold of this provision Christ gave Himself to purify us. And when our consciences are alarmed of guilt, we go to God and say, Oh, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all iniquity, all sin, so forgive me. But somehow, when we're alarmed by the presence of the power of remaining sin, we somehow think to have to figure it out on our own and by our own strength and our own wisdom to take care of it. Instead of going to Christ and saying, You gave Yourself to purify a people zealous of good works, purify me. I bring myself to You. And I say, Christ, do that which You've given Yourself to accomplish. It's a beautiful expression bound up with so much beauty itself in the things of salvation in Isaiah and chapter 53. When we read of Christ's 
atoning work, His sacrifice, and His saving of His people. And yet what a blessed statement it is in verse 10 when it says, He shall see His seed. He shall prolong His days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Someone says, but I'm so insignificant. Why would the Lord care about me? I am guilty of sin. I've not broken off with this. Why should the Lord care about me? Well, brethren, the answer already has been given because He loves you. He set His love upon you from eternity. He sent His Son for you. And His Son has already accomplished the work of your justification. And He has begun His work of sanctification. And He will see of the travail of His soul and be satisfied. There is a day coming when Christ will look upon His people. And not only will they be covered by His righteousness, not only will they be cleansed from every one of their spots by His blood, but they shall truly, really, and personally be pure and holy. And it will be because of His continuation of His work which awaits its perfection on the last day. Well, brethren, we in the Lord's mercies hope to give attention to that last day and the perfection of this work when it is Christ returns. But let us not neglect the benefit of this truth that the begun work will be continued, which actually should fill us with enthusiasm and excitement, not in the false enthusiastic way of the world which lives by fits and fancies, but a sound encouragement that comes in saying, at every discovery of sin, I have a Savior who forgives me and a Savior who purifies me. And so I come to Him confessing my sin for forgiveness, but I also then launch upon Him my hope and say, cleanse, yes, but also purify. Change my thoughts. Oh, my thoughts, which are so often twisted in upon themselves. My desires, which so often go out only to come back into themselves. Change me. Because you've begun this work. Continue it. What a blessing. He will continue it till the day of Jesus Christ. This testifies of His work in us through our lives and His work in our brethren till that final day. He's at work not only redeeming, but purifying a people until that last day. And brethren, if you are in Christ, you are one of those in whom He is at work. And what a beautiful thing it will be when He, as it were, before the whole world turns the portrait right side up and displays the beauty that He has formed in you to the whole world and receives glory to Himself for what He's done in your life. Christian, this is what gives us the most excitement. Christ is going to gather glory to Himself through His work He's done in you. That the whole world is going to see and say, none but Christ could have done that. None but a Savior could have done that. And you will be the trophy of His grace that He holds before all. And He says, look what I have done. 
And we will take no glory to ourselves, but with gladness will ascribe all praise for all good to Him who begun, continued, and in the end perfected this good work in us. Brethren, here is immense encouragement to the believer which should lead us to unending prayer. God, thank You for beginning. And as You've begun, so continue. But really, it's not just prayer for us. You know, we're tempted when we see the stumblings of fellow brethren to say, well, I know where that's going. Well, look what they've done. Look what they're doing. But instead, how we ought to pray for our brethren and say, you've begun a good work in them. Continue it. Mature them. Help them. It may demand that we have difficult conversations. We may have to confront them over certain things. But we do so relying upon God that He would continue His work in them. So we're brought to approach these things with a proper confidence that God is able and faithful is He, as Paul says, who will do it. Surely, We ought not to take this comfort unto ourselves unless there is the good work begun. And if we find that there's not a good work begun, might you see for a moment how desperately you stand in need of the Lord beginning this work. And thus to go to Him and say, I can never begin this good work myself. And for parents and believing siblings to think of their children or unbelieving siblings and thus to come to God and say, I can't begin the good work in them. The pastor can't begin the good work in them. My parents, my children, they can't begin the good work in them. Oh God, would You begin the good work in them. And once begun, would You continue it to the glory and praise of Your name for all eternity. Brethren, be encouraged as He who has begun will continue that work unto the day of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me for prayer?